السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. عليكم السلام عما. Doesn't matter. Kids can do whatever they want. Just. الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله. How are you, my brothers and sisters? Today I've got a new look. Thank you to my dear brother here who gifted me this nice Moroccan outfit. I told my nephew, "Do you like it?" He said, "You look like a wizard." Kids, my dear brothers and sisters. Welcome back and tonight insha'Allah I want to talk a short lecture and then followed by some questions from the audience. The topic I want to talk about is extre extremely important. It's about tawakkul. It's about reliance upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I want to fix or go over some of the misconceptions or misunderstandings of what tawakkul is and what it really is. And insha'Allah I believe it will help you in all your life insha'Allah, man or woman. My brothers and sisters, did you know that the scholars told us in this earth there is a paradise? In this earth there is a paradise. Whoever enters it will enter the paradise of the hereafter. And whoever cannot enter it will not enter the paradise of the hereafter. What is this paradise, my dear brothers and sisters? It is not materialistic. It's not the outside appearance. It's not the praise. It's not the reputation. It's not the looks. I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters, wallahi, it is to be able to live with complete reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no matter where you go, what you do or what happens to you. This type of a person can always see beauty in this world, can live as if there is a paradise in this world. What do I mean by that? I mean the negatives, anxieties, depressions, fears and sadnesses that we go through, grief that hits us. All sorts of pain, all of these, they become suddenly diminished, Wallahi Azim. And you become stronger automatically and able to get through them. There'll still be pain, there'll still be sadness, but your sadness and your pain is different to everyone else. You're able to live with it and keep going and you'll get over it quicker. Anybody who has a connection with Allah, with God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is able to get over all these negatives of life quicker than anyone else and be able to live a paradise in richness or in poverty, in health or in pain. There is a book called The Relationship or the, uh, the, the, uh, something like the relationship, the, the relationship Between the Mother and Its Child by John Bowlby who said that a child has a particular connection with its mother and that connection, when it's there, the child feels safe and at peace and at comfort until it grows up. With the warmth of its mother, it feels nothing else can happen to them. And that's through the heartbeats and everything that was in the womb. And he draws a conclusion from that saying, this expert psychologist, read a great author, he said that it, it is proven through studies that people who have a connection with God are less likely to take their life and are less likely to experience long-term depressions or mental illnesses. They're able to be more resilient and get over them quicker. My brothers and sisters, we have in our deen, alhamdulillah, in our religion, something called tawakkul. First of all, what is tawakkul? Tawakkul, my dear brothers and sisters, simply means to have the trust in Allah's plan and rely on Him in any case. To trust in Allah's plan and rely on him in all cases, meaning that you must do everything in your ability. Listen carefully, brothers and sisters, it's very important. You must do everything within your ability that Allah had given you. 
all the resources which Allah had gifted you, then after that, whatever the outcome, whatever the result after it, after you tried your best, whether it looks good to you or it looks bad to you, or if everybody tells you negative things about it or everything good about it, the person with tawakkul does two things. After the event, if you get something great out of it, you do not boast. You don't think you are better and superior to other people and show it off. Number two, if it looks bad to you, if it looks bad to you, you are never pessimistic. Pessimistic is a person who has negative judgments and thoughts. So this, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. This is bad. I'm a bad person. I'm a failure. I cannot do it. There's no way. I'm not even going to try again. They develop traumas. They don't know how to get out of it. What is the solution to that, brothers and sisters? Tawakkul. It's like this. You have a problem in your life or you have a fear in your life. Fear, by the way, is the opposite of tawakkul. Without tawakkul, there's fear. And then you've got to hold on to something that gives you motivation. But tawakkul, which is to hold on to Allah and connect yourself with Allah subhanahu wa that He has the best plan in everything that you do, means like this. If you're in a problem, you can't get rid of it. And it's playing on your mind. You can't go to sleep. Uh, you feel like the world has caved in on you. Do these four things. No, do these three things. I'm going to make it easier. Do these three things. Wallahi, it works, and I've seen it work with a lot of people. It works with myself as well. Number one, you need to first and foremost truly and really identify clearly what is it that is disturbing you. What's your problem? Don't, use, don't go into five or ten different problems in your life. Don't branch them out. You just go to one by one. Just put it in one little bag and focus on that problem. Identify it. You can do it right now while you're sitting here. Identify a problem that plays on your mind. One. Not two. One. Is it your exams? Is it money? Is it your children? Is it your marriage? Is it something someone said to you? Is it your looks? Is it your job? Is it your car? What, what is it? Any problem. Is it something legal? Is it uh, someone who is after you? Whatever it is. One problem. Identify it. Focus on that problem. Next, you're going to do this. The next thing, you're going to do this. You're going to truly from your heart, honestly and sincerely say, even if you need to close your eyes for this, and you forget about everything around you for about one minute, not even, just 20 seconds, just empty your mind. Can you do that? Can you do it for 20 seconds? Just don't worry about anything in the world. There is nothing else. Imagine you're going to die tomorrow. There's nothing else that matters. Focus on that problem. Close your eyes and say to Allah. If you believe in Allah, say to Him, Oh, my Supreme Lord, I'm going to take this problem off me. I don't want it anymore. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And I am giving it to you, Ya Allah. I give this problem to you. وَكَلْتُكَ In Arabic. I delegate you. You, Allah, take it off me. I'm going to give it to you to do whatever you want with it. I don't want it anymore. I'm taking it off my shoulder. Just give it up. Give up that problem. That's the second step. Suddenly you're going to, if you do it right, you're going to feel a little bit of pressure go off you. You've given it up to Allah. If it doesn't work right now, do it tonight when you go to sleep, inshallah. Maybe you need some quietness. 
Maybe you need to focus. Maybe you need, if, you're a, if you're a mother, maybe, maybe children need to go to sleep. If, if you're a father who's also looking after children with your wife, maybe they need to go to sleep. Just focus. The third step you have to do after that is this. Don't have any expectations after that. Don't have any expectations. Don't think, now Allah is going to do this for me. Just empty your brain, empty your expectations, and say, Ya Rabb, anything that you decree as the outcome from this, I accept it. I accept it. And I will be brave. And I will face it. And I will do my best for it. Because I know, whatever the outcome is, Ya Rabb, I will get through it. Summon bravery. There is a fourth thing. And that is very important. Do what you can within the power that Allah has given you to take care of this problem. But remember what you've just done. You've given it to Allah. You've taken away all the expectations. Whatever outcome, you know that even if it's hard, because He gave it to Allah, He will assist you through it. And believe that and be motivated to it. And lastly, do what you can out of the resources that Allah had given you. Brothers and sisters, if you can get used to that, I swear, wallahi, any problem you go through, whatever comes your way, and it will, you will face many pains and many problems in your life. Don't you dare ever sit down and think you want a paradise where there's no pain, nothing. There has to be. But we don't know what's good for us and what's bad for us. You do what's halal. Fear Allah in what you're doing. Don't go for the sins. If you do, repent to Allah and forgive yourself. Don't worry. We all make mistakes. But give it to Allah. You know the sin? Even if you've done a sin, even if you've done something haram, give it to Allah. Say, Ya Rabb, the thing that I am feeling right now, I feel so much guilt of that thing last time that I did. Ya Rabb, I give it to you. I don't want it anymore. I don't want this burden. Forgive me, Ya Allah, Wallahi. Ya Rabb, my Lord, I regret it. I don't want it anymore. Forgive me. Suddenly say, I don't have any expectations. I'm going to do my best. Be brave and keep going. Forgive yourself. If it's a right of someone else, say, Ya Rabb, I don't want this problem. Don't expect any outcome. But the fourth thing is, go and see what can you do to repay the person that you've wronged? How can you make it up to them? Lift that burden off you in any case. Brothers and sisters, let me explain something further. One of the biggest mistakes a lot of Muslims do is when they think about relying on God, on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they take it too far, to one extreme. And that is, they forget about their actions that they have to do, and they forget about cause and effect, the laws of cause and effect. If you do this, that's going to happen. If you don't do that, you're not going to get that. Who created these laws of cause and effect, brothers and sisters? Who created them? Is it not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's Allah who created the laws of cause and effect. So when you do something, you will receive. Go ahead and do it. Tawakkul means to use the laws of cause and effect which Allah created for you. Because He gave them to you. We're sitting there sometimes and we think tawakkul, tawakkul. Everything, sometimes we have 50% of the solution around us. But we refuse except for a supernatural solution. We want something different. Do you realize that? I see a lot of Muslims, they sit there, they think, I need something different. Why? Because somehow I'm some special. Because I'm a Muslim, I've got to be more special. God has to give me something more special. Some kind of sign, different to everything else. I heard one, one young person said to me, I wanted a sign from Allah about which way I should go. I said, what did you expect? He said, I expected a lightning. 
Well, I don't know why I expected a lightning. I think I watches too much Netflix. I don't know what the issue is. Lightning. Another one said, Wallah, I just wanted hack a breeze, a little wind to come through the window. Says, what kind of tawakkul is that? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you have to use the laws, and effect, the laws of cause and effect. You have to do what you can. There is the other extreme. The other extreme is called when you rely only and solely and mostly on cause and effect. Just things. And you don't rely on Allah at all. That's the other extreme. And these are most people who don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And these are the people who go through most stresses because when things don't work out, they try to get motivated, but it's very hard. As soon as something doesn't work out once, twice, three times, or they lose someone from their life, they don't know what to do with themselves anymore. But if you have your connection with a higher power, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, brothers and sisters, wallahi, no matter what happens, you still have greater hope than anyone else. People still have hope, but your hope is far greater because your ambition your goal, your connection is something beyond just this world. This world is going to temporary, is only temporary, it's going to end. So how it is tawakkul? It is to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do what you can of your effort together, hand in hand. Brothers and sisters, let me explain it even more than that. Tawakkul on Allah, putting your trust and reliance on Allah means this exactly. You ready? Means this exactly. It means... You do everything you can. Then, whatever the outcome, you think of four things. Four things that will keep you going, inshallah. One, whether good or bad, Allah has a plan for me. The outcome happens and you say, subhanallah, Allah has a plan for me. What is it? I don't know, but he has a plan. I am certain he has a plan. Number two, if it's a suffering that happened to you, say 100%. Good is going to come out of this suffering. 100%. Good is going to come out of this suffering I'm going through. And it will. Or number three, this suffering is a test for me. I know this is a test from Allah. It's possibly a test for my hereafter and a test of knowing myself. I will pass it and I will not let it overcome me. Come me. You know that test one and this suffering and all that? The shaitan will come to you right at the point of your lowest point. They will come to you right at the point where the outcome happens. Sometimes you might think, oh, I expected more of an outcome. It didn't happen that way. The shaitan comes to you and says, I've got him. I've got him and her. I'm going to start whispering right now. What do they whisper? You missed out on this, man. You could have done that. You're a failure. You had this opportunity. Your friend does it. You, you missed out. What are you doing? You're a failure. I told you you're a failure. You would have been whispering like that. Or if you failed, says, I told you you're not good. You sat there relying on Allah, making all your dua and everything, and you did everything that it needs, and you still failed. You're a loser. Why do you even rely on God? There's no such thing as God. The shaitan will get you right there, brothers and sisters, right there. Sometimes the shaitan will come to you and say, pray, pray more, pray more. Pray more, pray more, pray more, pray more. And as soon as you think you failed in something, say, see, I told you. You prayed all those prayers, all these sheikhs are telling you something, you failed still. Leave prayer. Right there is where the shaitan uses vulnerability. But guess what, brothers and sisters? The shaitan has no power over you. The Quran says this, that on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
قال قرينه ربنا ما أطغيته ولكن كان في ضلال بعيد his own or her own shaitan that is born within the Qareen will say on the day of judgment, Oh my Lord, I did not make them go astray. But he or she was too far. <laughs> they, 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 they already thought bad about themselves. They were too far away. They were diving way far away. I just whispered and they listened. In another verse, the shaitan says, uh, Iblis himself stands in hellfire and makes a khutbah, a khutbah, a sermon and says to everybody in hellfire, Hey everyone, let's make a deal right now. I know you're all going to blame me. Let's just agree, I don't blame you, you don't blame me, every man to himself, I just called you and you listened, so don't hold anything against me, man, I had no power over you. Wallahi, the shaitan will say that. So you have power over yourself, brothers and sisters. So the four things are, something happens after you tried your best, think, Allah has a plan for me. Number two, good is going to come out of this suffering. Number three, this is also a test for my hereafter. I will pass. Number four, it is a learning opportunity from the mistakes and decisions that I made. Is that a bad thing? Is it a bad thing that if you learn from your bad decisions? Is that a bad thing or a good thing? Can you imagine everybody making perfect decisions? Is that possible? That's impossible. You're not meant to. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us deliberately fail. Why? So we can learn. Who can tell me why Adam salam ate from the tree? Why did he eat from the forbidden tree? Don't give me shaitan. Remember, we said the shaitan has no power. Shaitan whispered, but why did Adam salam eat from it? Something that we all have. Yes, Amma, what do you think? What did he say? Yeah, I can't hear you very well, but I'll just say yeah. You must be right somehow. What's your name? Zaid, I heard your name. Zaid says something good. I don't know what it was, but I'm sure it's correct, inshallah, because I couldn't hear. But Zaid, Adam salam, everyone, ate from the tree because it was forbidden. And of curiosity. But guess what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that was going to happen. And he allowed it to happen knowing that Adam was going to make that decision. Why? Because Adam salam, was going to learn something which without it he would have never learnt. He learnt the value of mercy and forgiveness. What does forgiveness mean? What does mercy mean? And these are two values that we need in our life. What is the feeling of forgiveness and mercy? This is what creates relationships and bonds between people. When you feel that somebody forgave you, somebody had mercy upon you after you made a mistake, how do you feel? Remember the last time that you may have had a clash with your own mother or your father or a, or, or a sibling or a good friend who you had long history with and you did something bad and then after that you reconciled or they accepted you again or you, you, you resolved the problem. Do you remember how much weight was lifted off your shoulder? You feel amazing. This feeling of forgiveness and mercy that Adam salam learnt after eating from the forbidden tree, he would not have learnt it had he not eaten from there and not have known the enemy and not have known his strength to bounce back, insha'Allah. And we all do that. We all fall in order to learn. So brothers and sisters, tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means no matter what happened, you always assume positive about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As I told you before, there is no pessimism in Islam. It is haram for a Muslim to be pessimistic. 
That's why certain people resort to false beliefs because of their pessimism. They resort to wearing a blue, evil, a blue, a blue stone on their necks, feeling, thinking that it's going to prevent their evil eye. Because of their pessimism, they think everybody has it in for them and they're going to give them the eye. So they go and wear a blue stone or a shoe. I've seen a little shoe. People wear it. I've seen people make a horseshoe and they hang it on their exhaust behind their car. The car is not worth $2,000 and probably about to conk out, but they still put a shoe. Some people, they get a child. Well, I've seen this a lot. A child is born. Child's got blue eyes. Everybody's going to give him the eye. Who do you think you are, Ami? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you a child with blue eyes. Alhamdulillah, say mashallah, tabarakallah. Everybody's going to give them like everybody wants blue eyes or brown eyes or, or whatever. And what I'm trying to say is something, something goes good. I better keep it a secret because everybody's going to give me a blue eye. It's good to keep things a secret, not showing it off. But this pessimism. Some people go to fortune tellers. Some people go to tarot readers. Some people believe in astrology and they take a, a star and they call this star by the month that they were born and they say, that's me. <laughs> or that's me. They see a star. Someone made up this idea that if you're born in January, you're a this or you're a, what's it called? It's scorpion and, and um, verge. Huh? What? Anyway, the horoscope stuff. Star signs. Suddenly, they make a decision what they are. That's me. I'm Virgo. I'm Leo. I'm I don't know what. And they put it on their, somebody put it on their social media um, status. Star sign. Virgo. Okay, brothers and sisters, all this. Some people, you know, we talked about myths and superstitions the other day. This is the result of pessimism. You know, subhanAllah, last time I spoke about myths and superstitions, I just gave a very small example. You know, I said there are some myths that they taught us when we were young, even myself, that, you know, if you're praying on a prayer mat and you, you know, our grandmother and mothers and all that and fathers and even sheikhs, they used to tell me that I've got to, I've got to fold even the tip of the prayer mat. Like if I don't pray, I have to fold the tip. Why? Because the shaitan is going to dance on it or pray on it. Another one says it's going to urinate on it. My God, look at all this carpet we're praying on here in the masjid. It must be shaitans everywhere. Don't pray on it. It's probably urinated everywhere and dancing. Brothers and sisters, these, I saw a kid. I kid you not. <laughs> Pun. He left his prayer mat. And by the way, there's no such thing as a prayer mat. It's just a mat that we choose to pray on. Every, the whole earth is tahur and masjid. Rasulullah said the whole earth is made as masjid tahur. The whole earth is made into a mosque, into a place of prostration, and it is all pure. You can pray anywhere. The entire earth is your prayer mat. But some people like to have a prayer mat, and I understand that maybe the, for, for cleanliness or to put it... I mean, I've got a prayer mat myself. We call it a prayer mat. Nothing wrong with it. For cleanliness, to pray on it because you feel a little bit more spiritual... Uh, not spiritual, but cleaner to pray on it. It's fine. And if you want to fold your prayer mat, put it away to keep it nice and clean, that's good. But the problem is when we associate pessimistic beliefs to it that the Prophet Allah did not tell us. I'll tell you what happens. I saw a kid left his prayer mat open because he believed literally that the shaitan is praying on it. He was, he, was he was traumatized. He was terrified to pray on the prayer mat. Why? Because he thought that prayer mat, that one is jinxed. That one's got a shaitan on it. No, I will never pray on that prayer mat. And it was a red prayer mat. He, had, he even hated all the color red. This is called pessimism. Do you understand what happens when we have superstitious beliefs, the result of pessimism? In Islam, there is no such thing, and pessimism is what leads to shirk in people. 
going and reading your star sign or going to somebody tell you your fortune or your future, 40 days of your prayer will not be accepted if you do not believe in them. Just going to them. Believing in them makes you disbelieve in Allah. Allahu Akbar, how much emphasis Islam puts on being optimistic, brothers and sisters, and not holding on to things like that. Tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not on talismans and amulets and charms and um, uh, Pandora's. Uh, you can go to Pandora and buy gold, it's nothing wrong with that. But you know the name, Pandora, Pandora's box. It's all based on pessimism. And pessimism is vulnerability. This is how salespeople and uh, influencers want to sell you something. They pry on your fears. Listen to what Allah says in the Quran about prying on your fears. He says, the devil threatens you with the prospect of poverty and bids you to be shameful and bids you to do shameful deeds of stinginess while Allah promises you forgiveness and great bounties from him and Allah is all bountiful all-knowing the shaitan says to you says to you, you're going to be poor your family's going to be out on the street if you keep uh, uh, doing this what you're doing you're going to end up uh, losing your job look at your kids look at your wife look at your husband look at your parents what should I do what should I do what should I do go to the banks get usury get riba under any circumstance oh more than that more than that more than that let's go and make a tobacco farm do you guys know why I mentioned that this is in right now, tobacco farms and nicotine, which they put in vapes for young people to put toxicity and poison in themselves. And they do all these sorts of things in haram, stealing, theft, crime. Why? Why? Because the shaitan makes you afraid. This is going to happen to me. That's going to happen to me. Where's the tawakkul? Tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means to seek halal provision. Not haram provisions, brothers and sisters. Speaking about tawakkul, I did say that there's something called tawakkul. Tawakkul and what? Tawakkul. Tawakkul means to put your trust fully in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do and exert every energy, every plan, summon every resource and every advice you can get and study all the ways and plan and rely on Allah no matter what the outcome is, even if you fail. However, there are people who have only tawakkul, which means they're doing little or nothing, and they just rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The scholars, they said, reliance upon Allah without taking into account the laws of cause and effect is disobedience to Allah. It's masiyah. And relying only on cause and effect without relying on Allah is shirk. It's polytheism, because you're making things in life as gods. Maryam alayha salam, in the Quran in Surah Maryam, while she was giving birth in labor, she was in labor and giving birth under a palm tree. You know the story in Surah Maryam, when she gave birth to Isa alayhi salam. Allah says, 
فناداها من تحتها ألا تحزني قد جعل ربك تحتك سريا وهزي إليك بجذع النخلة تساقط عليك رطبا جنيا فكلي واشربي وقري عينا الله says and so while she was in labor under the palm tree so a voice reassured her from below her do not grieve your Lord has provided a stream at your feet now listen and shake the trunk of the palm tree and shake the trunk of the palm tree shake the trunk of the palm tree towards you it will drop fresh ripe dates upon you so eat and drink and enjoy what Allah has given you did you guys realize something surprising here what was it shake the trunk of the you need an elephant two elephants to shake the trunk of the palm tree towards you this is not only not an elephant she's a human and she's a woman and she's in labor she's giving birth sisters have given birth no and she has to shake the trunk of the palm tree towards her can she no she cannot she touched it and Allah did the rest but why did Allah still tell her to shake the palm why did why did Allah send the message through that voice to still shake the trunk of the palm tree to teach us we still have to do our effort using our effort means that you are using Allah's resources and tawakkul means to use what Allah gave you and to rely on Allah and the things you have no control over that's why Allah brought this verse to us another example is Musa alayhi salam in surat uh, in surat al-ashu'ara verse 63 فأوحينا إلى موسى أن أن اضرب بعصاك البحر فأوحينا إلى موسى أن اضرب بعصاك البحر فانفلق فكان كل فرق كالطود العظيم then we revealed to Moses commanding him strike the sea with your rod he had a he had a stick strike it thereupon the sea split up and then each became like the mass of a huge mountain again we see Musa is standing at the ocean in the sea Allah could have split the sea for him but why did Allah tell him to strike it with his stick to show us again you still got to do the power and the effort which Allah gave you. You must do it to teach us that part of tawakkul is to use Allah's resources that he gave us. What's the stick going to do? Allah did the rest. Allah says to the Prophet Muhammad in Surah Badr, in, in, when he was in the Battle of Badr, in, in uh, Surah Al-Anfal, وَمَا رَمَيْتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ In the Battle of Badr, the Prophet ﷺ picked up some dust from the earth and he blew it. And he said, The faces have become blinded by the will of Allah, the everlasting, the most powerful. And suddenly the enemies became blinded with the dust, just from a little bit in his hand. Allah says in the Quran, 
when those enemies fell, O Messenger of Allah, when they became blinded and scattered, it was not you who did it. It wasn't a bit of dust that you threw. It is Allah who made the dust go into their eyes. Still again we learn the lesson. Do your part. Do what's within your resource. We never find the Prophet Muhammad ever sitting aside and not relying on Sitting aside, just relying on Allah and making dua. Brothers and sisters, Rasulullah was lifted to the heavens in Isra wal Mi'raj. Isn't that right? We all know this. We all believe this. But when he wanted to migrate from Mecca to Medina, away from the enemies who were going to kill him, he could have just asked Allah to bring the Burak and just, just fly with him. Take him all the way to Medina. But no, he went through a strenuous planning and strategy. So much so that you think, where is Allah in all of this? Where is Allah's reliance in this? Nah, that's what reliance Allah means. He made every plan and plot. The story is long, we need to read the seerah. How intricately detailed his planning was and strategy. However, along the strategy with all the fears, he's going to get killed. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, as Siddiq is with him. And Suraq ibn Malik, the one, the warrior who was going out to kill them to get the bounty on his head. Suraq ibn Malik fell on the ground and he had never fallen off his horse as he was chasing after Muhammad sallallahu and Abu Bakr. And the Prophet is walking very slowly. Abu Bakr anhu is running around the Prophet trying to protect him from all sides and he's anxious while the Prophet is just reciting Quran and making zikr. And Abu Bakr says, Ya Rasulullah, Asuraqa, he's about to get to us, he's about to get, he's only a few feet away and Rasul is not even paying attention. Suddenly the horse fell and he fell off and Suraqa ibn Malik got back on second time, third time. And then Suraqa, he's the one that's pessimistic because they've got the idea that idols do this and that to them. That's what pessimism does to you. He's a pessimistic person. So he got up and he said, oh my God, this is really bad. This is a bad omen. So he crawled to the Prophet ﷺ on his knees, put his hand on the floor, nearly his head on the floor and said, please let me go. <laughs> Suraqa, the one who's going to kill him, he's got the sword and he's saying, please let me go. And we know the story is long. Later on, he becomes a Muslim. But I want you to combine the two. Rasul did he just sit there and just, Allah will take care of Suraqa? Or was, did he plan? He planned everything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did the rest. So brothers and sisters, rely on Allah, whether it's good or bad. Uh, Umar radiallahu anhu. You all know who Umar radiallahu anhu is, the second Khalifa. Umar radiallahu anhu once, he sees a young man. Young man, maybe in his 17, 18, 19, 20. He sees a young man sitting in the masjid, praying and worshipping and doing nothing else. That's all he was doing. So he asked, who provides this young man food and clothing and drink and all that? Who provides him for his sustenance? They said to him, his brother, Ya Amir al-Mu'minin. He said, his brother is far better than him. And the guy's sitting in the masjid 24-7. So then he, Amr Dalan was a, he wore his heart on his sleeve and he used to carry a stick with him. Anybody who did something wrong, he would tap him with it. Sometimes it would be a bit harder, sometimes a bit softer. He would wake up the people. And he is the Khalifa. So he came up to him and he said to him, young man, get up and work. Go get a job. The sky does not rain down gold and silver for you. Did you ever see the sky raining gold and silver? Never. So get up and stop sitting there going, yalla, let it come. No. Some people do that in istikhara. Istikhara means to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, um, to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in whatever you're about to do. So I avoided saying guidance because some people still misunderstand the word guidance. When I say guidance, suddenly what do they wait for? A sign. 
Not just any sign, supernatural sign. And you're like this. You sit, you make the istikhara, and I wait five minutes. And then it comes. What comes? I don't know what it is. From where? From Allah. What is it? Well, I don't know, but it, it's coming. It's there. It comes down. I feel it. Some people believe istikhara, you have to see a dream. Again, who told you you have to see a dream? Can anyone here, please, for the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give me any evidence from the Quran or any hadith that once you made istikhara, you're supposed to see a dream? Someone? Well, that's okay. You can say it. I'm not, I'll learn if, if there is a dalil. I've searched everywhere. Dua, istikhara, does not mean that you have to see a dream, brothers and sisters. You may see dreams, but here's the thing. Let me explain to you. Abuse happens through dreams. Control happens through dreams, especially sometimes through parents who want their own whims and desires, so they abuse their children through it. For example, a really good guy would come and ask for their daughter. This, this has happened many times. I, I hear this day in, day out. Someone comes, maybe their daughter is interested in a guy who's come, he's a really good guy, he's come and, and asked for their daughter, everything is good, alhamdulillah, or the other way around. The parents say, let me make an istikhara first. Here we go. The parents don't want him. They don't want him. They've already had fights over fights. Wallah, if you don't, I will never visit you. All your siblings will never come to visit you. Anyone who goes there, if, if she marries him, nobody, everybody cut him off. Why? For your own whims and desires. No reasonable reason. So then when, when some of them, they, they keep going at it, they go, let me make an istikhara. Here we go, mashallah. What do you think they're going to see in their dream? They could see things that their brain is telling them. Already we don't want him. So in my dream, I'm going to see that he's a bad person. The shaitan will say, ah, there's a vulnerability. I'm going to stuff this one up for them. And even if you see a righteous dream, how do you know what's a righteous dream from it? How, what is the measure? How do you know? And brothers and sisters, you know, we tell ourselves these things. Sometimes a relationship is there. It goes on for months between a boy and a girl behind their parents' backs. They get attached to each other and they've established memories. The more the memories you have, the more the relationship between you two are. Did you guys know that? What is relationship? Relationship are memories. The more you deposit good memories between each other, the more the relationship and the bond is going to be. And they call it dating. Brothers and sisters, dating is a Western terminology. When you date and go, dating means you make a date to go out together to certain places. Now, dating doesn't have to necessarily mean that you're going to kiss and hug, but majority of them, I would say 99% of them end up kissing and hugging and more. Because the more you establish relationships and the more you go out together, the longer you are. Come on, man, don't, don't kid yourself. Most of them fall into haram. And then you become attached. Then when you come to get serious about marriage or whatever, we'll make istikhara. Habib, you're already attached. You've already made the decision. You've already gone ahead in the haram way. And then you're going to say, let's ask Allah. You know what you're going to see in your dreams? You're going to see he's a prince. He's beautiful. He's amazing. Or you might see shaitan dreams. Because your brain is all over the place now. You're full of emotions. So brothers and sisters, the istikhara is about tawakkul. What is tawakkul? No matter what the outcome. Alhamdulillah, I will keep going. Because if it's what I wanted or if it's something I didn't want, it doesn't matter. I have my trust in Allah because some other door is going to open. Sometimes the door closes in every way. Then we go and do tahajjud. The tahajjud has to be sincere, brothers and sisters. Some people, they go to Umrah. They say, I'll make my dua in front of the Kaaba. Ah, there, that's my secret, that's my key. Ya Allah, please give me that person. 
The proper dua, brothers and sisters, is like this. Oh Allah, give me what's best for me and keep away what's bad for me. Obstacles will come in your way and you will start feeling intense feelings as the time goes on, as the situation develops. When you reach a brick wall and you think, man, beyond this, I'm going to be doing haram. Beyond this, it's, it's mentally draining for me. Beyond this, there's going to be lifelong problems. Then you say, khalas, maybe it's better for me to move away. That could be the sign. So brothers and sisters, don't make a stikhara and dua and expect some particular sign to come to you. People give me all sorts of strange, weird um, you know, uh, interpretations. So brothers and sisters, tawakkul, again I repeat, relying on Allah, doing what you can, doing it the halal way, and whatever the outcome, you don't fall. You stay and you say, whatever it was, probably a plan from Allah, this is good for me, inshallah. Um, this is a test for me, or I'm going to learn from my faults. Whatever it is, I'm going to try again. Because Allah will not leave me. Alhamdulillah, that it was from Allah, not from myself. Brothers and sisters, that's what we do. We don't just keep going and going and going and going and going. Anyway, brothers and sisters, Umar radiallahu anhu, one day sees a young man walking with his head, listen to this, with his head dangling. And he's walking with his back arched. And he's wearing clothes that are you know, just very humble with patches on them. And he's, and he's walking like as if he's so humble and pious and he's given up on the entire world, dragging his feet. You know, some people, they think that's piety. That's what spirituality looks like. No, it doesn't. Umar al-Khattab with his usual stick comes off his horse, comes to that young boy, young man, and he says to him, lift your head up. He hit him a little bit there. Lift your head up. Islam is not a sickness. You've, in other words, so you became religion, suddenly you act like you're sick. Islam made you sick. Put your head up like a lion and move forward. Islam is not about that. Sitting in monastery, sitting in little, becoming worship, a monk or something. No, 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 no. Islam is continue. You be ahead of everybody, inshallah, as much as you can. That's what Islam is. And that's how the Prophet ﷺ was. There was a, a woman, uh, what was her name? Uh, uh, Subhanallah. I forgot one of the companions. <sighs> La ilaha illa, I forgot her name. Subhanallah. Umm al Khansa. Al Khansa, they used to call her as a nickname. Umar made her uh, quality control over all the businessmen. She used to go around and check that their products are good as they describe them and they're not cheating customers. So she was like an inspector. And one day she saw a group of young men coming in and they were miserly, sorry, they were, they were humbled, they were dragging their feet and they looked very soft and weak. And she said, what's this? <laughs> the companions never seen, have never seen pious religious people walk like that. She said, what's this? Umar would never accept this, she said. He was a man of, of, of strength and when he spoke, everybody listened. And when he did something, he did it to his best. And he never walked like as if feeling sorry for himself and the whole world's against him. No, 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 no. Get up and be strong. It was not known to be like that. So brothers and sisters, I hope inshallah you got the idea. Lastly, I want to say this. If you could, Rasul said, if you could rely and trust in Allah in its absolute true meaning, he would provide you the way he provides the bird. It leaves in the morning empty stomach and returns in the evening with its stomach full. Again, I want you to be careful with this one. Some people say, just like he provides the bird, he'll provide me. 
But they miss one point about this hadith. Did the bird stay in its nest? Did the bird not fly? Did the bird not... What do you see the birds doing? Right in the morning, they wake you up. And they go. They do not stop. Then they come back, they make a lot of noise and they sleep. What did they do? They seek. They seek. They work. They do everything in their power. But they rely on Allah. Meaning they're not pessimistic. They don't give up. They don't sit there and say, man, I can't do it. Brothers and sisters, listen and memorize this word. Laziness is a choice. Repeat after me. Laziness is a choice. And act, being active is a choice. Laziness is a choice. Being active is a choice. Don't say, ask me, how do I wake up for Fajr? It's a choice. It's a choice, brothers and sisters. If I gave you a million bucks, <laughs> there goes the choice out the window. You have no choice except to get up. Because there's something that you see, or you want the million bucks. Brothers and sisters, there are, lastly, I just want to say this, there are, even in the people, experts in money and finance, although they don't have Allah in their life, they've kind of taken some of the meaning of tawakkul, but they just stopped at it here in this world. There's nothing beyond it. But it also agrees with what the Prophet said, except we have Allah in our life. So according to a guy named Kristen um, Uretig, Uretig, he's a founder and CEO of Brooklyn Plans, he says, wealth mindset is the idea that the universe is plentiful. So let's just change those words. The idea that Allah, his kingdom never runs out. He is razzaq. He always gives. So this guy used universe instead of God. And our potential is unlimited. True. Rasul said, Seek Allah's support and never paralyze yourself. Don't give up. Uh, and then he says, It involves defeating self-limiting beliefs that come up around money or life goals in general to break past self-imposed barriers to a better way of living. Stop putting blocks in your way. Allah did not put blocks in your way. And they called it the scarcity mindset. It's when your mind tells you no matter how much money you have, you think, I'm going to lose it. I still need more. I'm going to miss out. He says, do the opposite. Have an abundance mentality. No matter what happens, these people feel like they will always land on their feet and have money when they need it and not because they are rich. This is the mindset Rasul put in our heads. Evident. He woke up and said to you, if you have a roof over your head and you have clothes to wear and you have a, a meal to eat and you feel safe, you control the world. Do you understand? It's a mindset. It's not the money. It's not how much you have in the bank. Wallahi, I know people who have millions. The more they have, the more scared they are. The more competitive they are. I don't know what's going on with them. Some people go into a mental illness. Some people have got estates and millions, and wallahi, I'm not going to say it because it could be someone you know. I won't say it. I swear it could be someone you know. They stay miserly and selfish, and they won't spend even a cent. Why? Because they're afraid. Who are you leaving it to? So my dear brothers and sisters, uh, speaking about those who, are, who act pious and like God is going to be there for them, they don't have to do anything. I remember two blokes, you know, they're dressed like the way that you, you do recognize as pious and uh, ascetics. That they, they've given up on the world. That's how they appear. Wallahi. Wallahi. It was back probably about 15 years ago. I went to, to a house auction to buy a house. Halal way. The Murabaha system. Anyway. 
I went there and there's a bunch of people bidding for this house. Wallahi, those two men were there. Looking all ascetic and all pious, mashallah, making dua. Wallahi, I kid you not, my brothers and sisters. They started going at each other like two beasts about to kill each other. Bidding on top of each other. We all gave up. And they bid on the house even higher. Why? Ego. You're, mate, you're supposed to be brothers and mates. Look, you look the same. And this one's going this way and this one's going that way. And then suddenly, one started swearing at him. And then the swearing turned English and his own language. Mixed. He lost his mind over the house. Wallahi, I saw one of them, his fists were like that. I said, hold on, hold on, brother. Take it easy, man. Take it easy. It's just a house. Just, you'll find another house in Shell. It was about to punch on. They were about to punch on. What happened? My brothers and sisters, there are people whose tawakkul is fake. And there are people who are real. Those are the people who find the paradise, insha'Allah ta'ala. My brothers and sisters, I won't talk much more than that. I've done enough, alhamdulillah. But I hope, insha'Allah, that tonight gave you a good idea of what tawakkul is and hope that you can gain strength from it, insha'Allah ta'ala, so that you don't give up. We want brothers and sisters to stand on their feet. We want brothers and sisters to be the people who you know, lead the way and who are strong. We don't want the ones who beg. We don't want the ones who receive. We want the people who are the ones who, uh, you know, benefit and others can rely on them. This is how we should be, insha'Allah ta'ala. So don't give up, my brothers and sisters, no matter what, and work in the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had commanded you. Try your best. And whatever the outcome was, don't say, if only I had done this or if only I had done that out of despair. For that opens up the path for the shaitan to come in and whisper to you and use your vulnerabilities. But rather say, Qaddar Allah wa ma sha'afa'al. Allah has pre-measured and whatever he wills, he does. I'm happy with that. Good will come after this bad. I'm certain of it. Have that mindset and watch what happens. Watch what happens. Jazakumullahu khair. Hada wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. So brothers and sisters, once again I said short talk and I went a bit longer. Do you have any questions? I don't know if you've seen this YouTube clip. I think many people have seen it. But if you haven't seen it, he's actually a friend of mine. He's not here today. His name is, uh, I call him Abu Bakr, but his real name is Ruben. So he's on YouTube now. Uh, it was in the younger days. That was a talk him and I went on in, in Sydney. Uh, I think it was in uh, 1999. So we were there together and he was speaking about his journey becoming a Muslim. And he speaks about um, how he learned about Islam and he liked it and loved it. But there was one thing that stayed as a gap in his heart. And he said, uh, I just wanted just uh, an abnormal sign from Allah. Like I wanted some extra sign just for me, something special. So he talks about it. I mean, he says it better. But if you want to go on there and, and he also had more of a skip vo um, accent. Aussie, yeah. I can put on a skip accent, but you're all going to laugh at me. No? No? <laughs> okay, all right. I'll stay as I am. <laughs> um, so he... He sits there in his bedroom on his bed and he said I was alone and I had the Qur'an with me, the Mus'haf and I said, Ya Rabb, oh God, in English you know, nothing's hard for you I've become a Muslim but just give me one little sign just anything I know you brought up the sun and the moon and this is all easy for you but give me one sign 
So he's sitting there, and obviously it's funnier than what I'm saying. I'm just summarizing it. And he says, okay, Allah, you can do it. Go. And he's waiting for something to happen. He's waiting for anything, something big. He was waiting for something big, but nothing happened. So he said the dua again. He was a bit disappointed, and he said, Ya Rabb, please show me something. Maybe just if the light flickers a little bit. Maybe if the breeze comes in a little bit. Just something. He waited and waited and waited. He goes, usually that night, these things happen by themselves. That night, absolutely nothing. <laughs> he goes, I was disappointed. I thought, man, God can do all this stuff. I'm asking him one little tiny thing, just flicker the light. Nothing happened. Nothing. And he says the story that he opened the Mus'haf, the Qur'an. And you all know the words of Allah, for those of you who know how the Qur'an works, it mainly follows four different repetitive uh, themes and messages. And it's said in different eloquent ways and elo just beyond our mind. And each time you read it in a different way, you just learn it from a different angle. So it's repetitive in different ways. So he opened it up. And what does he read? He read, verse, he read verses which mean like this. Which mean like this. That they ask you, O Muhammad, about signs. I think, I think it was the verse about the angels. Because they asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bring us the angels down, let us see God. You know, bring up dead earth in front of us so it can be filled with gardens and streams. God can do that. Anyway, he reads on. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in a passage, have they, have they ask you of signs. Have we not already brought them enough signs for those who want to reflect, to reflect already? And Allah mentions in there the sun and the moon and the palms and the, and the womb and the generations before and the generations after and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings the clouds and the rain. The problem is, brothers and sisters, he, he just sat there and he goes, subhanAllah, it's right in front of me, all around me, and I'm here selfishly asking for something abnormal. When the signs are already there for us. And I learned something from that. Brothers and sisters, we take Allah's miracles for granted. Yet we are asking for something supernatural every time. Oh, there are miracles all around us. But when we see them all the time, our hearts become hardened. As Allah says, Allah says in Surah Al-Hadid that the people before you, Allah kept bringing signs upon signs for them. But because they got used to it, their hearts became hardened and they forgot. So always look at yourself and look above into the stars and remember, Allah is always showing you His signs and miracles. Why do we not rely on Him? Jazakumullah khair, my brothers and sisters. So you can watch it on YouTube, inshallah. It's more entertaining than the way I said it. Brother is asking about some brothers who are asking about marriage. They find struggling to find a wife. And they're asking, what can we do in a halal way, in a smooth way, in a good way to get to it? And in the fastest way, you say the fastest way? The easiest and fastest way to get to it. May Allah reward you. <laughs> so there's no fast or slow way. You just got to actually take it easy and take steps and think. Don't rush things. But of course, you've got to do it the right way. Well, brothers and sisters, you help me out. There are several ways. Some of the ways I know is, number one, the classical one, through family. Get your family to look out for you and ask friends. If you're a guy, talk to your sisters. Your sisters can ask their friends. 
and keep an eye out for you, recommend for you that way, your cousins. If you go to uni, for example, attach yourself to the prayer room, because over there, the Muslim Student Association, you got all ages, whichever tickles your fancy, but respect our sisters, respect our brothers, find a way if there's no other way there's nothing haram about asking someone to maybe approach a sister in a respectful way or maybe asking someone to ask another sister to approach her if you can't approach her a sister may also send someone to ask in a certain way i mean you know you got to be you got to be creative and smart and smooth in the way you do it halal smooth uh masjid the community we, I have some brothers who say, oh, you know, I, I live far distances or I'm new to here. How can I? I say to them, look, you've got to come to the masjid a little bit more often. Get to know more people, inshallah. And through there, networks grow. So through events, through places, you need to be in contact with the community, brothers and sisters. If, you, if you're not known, you're not seen, nobody knows you, you stay aside, it's going to be very hard. All right, so that's you know one way. Once you find someone you like them or, or, or you, you, you're interested in them, inshallah ta'ala, depends what your interest is. If you want to see a picture of theirs, that's fine. You know, get it within someone who trusts them. Uh, there's several ways. Uh, one way is through asking about the family or the brother, for example, or a cousin or a friend who is able to uh, get you some bio about them. Um, I say to sisters, if you don't trust you know the person or you don't know what's going to be done with your pictures don't send it especially don't send it privately to a, a brother I'd, uh, until you really meet the family I think but you can send your pictures through a friend or a friend can show them I mean I've had that done uh, for several brothers and sisters uh, if you are interested in them inshallah ta'ala you got to be brave and make a step my advice to you is to ask for their family why? I have young people say, if we don't date and we don't get to know them outside of the family, how are we going to get to know them? Brothers and sisters, I don't believe in that strategy. Wallahi, I don't. And I've been for years, decades, uh, helping young people and being in the scene. Uh, meeting people outside of your family, outside of your, your parents knowing about it, hardly ever really helps you to know the person well. And I'll tell you why. Psychologically, psychologically, when you meet someone for the first time, especially if you're interested in their looks or their words, you find yourself changing your own language. Like you, you start feeling that, that you're enjoying this moment because everything new is enjoyable, brothers and sisters. You get a new mobile phone, you enjoy it for a week, man. So when everything's new... You find yourself, your own, your, own, your own hormones, your dopamine, your serotonin, all that starts to come into, come into the picture. And suddenly that helps you change your words. You find yourself a bit more patient. You find yourself more smiling. You find yourself a bit more attractive. And then the shaitan comes to you and you start thinking, Oh my God, he's changed me. Bro, whenever I'm with her, follow bro. I feel so close to Allah. I found the one who will take me to Jannah. 
I've changed. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Nothing's happened. This is all fake. It's just the newness of it all, the nice talk, it's normal. Wallahi, replace them with someone else, it'll be the same thing. I'm telling you. You don't believe me? I don't care if you don't believe me. I know what I'm saying. <laughs> That's my evidence. Through experience, brothers and sisters, we've learned this stuff. Now, let me tell you something. You'll know a little bit about them. The most you're going to know about them, wallahi, I kid you not, it's not going to be more than 10% 10, 10 of what you're going to know about them. What are you going to know about them? Their genre of music or their genre of what they like to read, their personality, they're funny, they joke, they like going to the beach or they like going skiing or they like horse riding. It's this, this, this superficial stuff that you're going to be sitting there talking about. That's all I've seen in young people when they meet outside. It's all about fun, joking, talking about superficial things that don't really matter for your marriage. The real stuff is when you dive in. Don't dive in the deep end, the shallow end. Just slowly go talk to your mum and dad. Say, Dad, you know, there's this girl, I heard about her. Even if you've met them, let's say, at, let's say in high school, in secondary school, you met them, you know about them, someone recommended you. Even if you happen to talk to them once in an open environment, I mean, this does, realistically, this is what happens in our time. All right, just avoid any haram interaction such as being secluded alone in a room together, such as um, starting to talk stuff that really now is unnecessary. It's not really the talk that you should be talking. You know, I'm talking about flirtatious talks, pick-up lines and, uh, you know, um, acting like you're all pious but you're not and you're just showing the nice side of your face and the nice side of your body or whatever it is. These things you know yourself. So once you get it serious and you start knowing and going to see him with the parents and family or even with a cousin or even with a family friend. It doesn't have to be straight to the father. It's okay if you're a bit scared of that. But I mean, if you're serious about it, brothers and sisters, you need to start going towards the family. Now, when you go to the family, you get to see how she is around her brothers. You get to see how he is around his sisters. I know you're all going to say, what if they lie? What if they fake it? What if, what if? I understand that part. But this way, you will know more than what you will know when you're just you and him or you and her. You will know a little bit more. I'm just saying it's a collection of things. This next step is to go and see how family dynamics. You're going to have kids, inshallah. Those kids are going to be in their family, the uh, grandfather and grandmother and the uncles and aunts. What are they like? How is their situation going to be? How is their lifestyle? What is the lifestyle of your parents? You're going to know about 40 to 50% more about them and about their environment. And you don't have to go for one visit or two visits. Go many visits, as many as you like. Go 20, 40, 50, whatever. Insha'Allah. Along with that, you do your research on outside of the house. Ask about them. Check their social media. Ask friends. Uh, do your research. Get someone else to ask about them. What are they like? What's their past like? Brothers and sisters, you're more likely to, to be safer this way and more clearer than just going out for six months or a year or three months or four months together alone until the attachments and the relationship and the emotions start coming together. And then later on, you're going to find out things that you wished you would have known before. You're not the same around this person as you are around your family, around your friends, around your brothers and sisters. I know a brother. He regretted big time. He got to know this sister through a cousin. And he thought before going to the father, because too serious, man, I'll go and meet her. Where did he meet her? She goes to a uni, certain university. There was a barbecue day and he went over there and met her uh, or some other event. And, you know, they established connection. They exchanged each other's social media um, accounts. 
and just kept going and going until they fell in love. It's not really love. Love comes after you get married. These are emotions, all right? Emotions, but not real love. Love is when you're there for each other and there's ups and downs and you've really known each other. It comes to the point where you've come really your, 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 your strengths and weaknesses and your nice and ugly side and all your, everything about you is now together and you're there for each other and you've established those memories over at least two years, three years, four years. Love starts to come in if it goes well. But before that, brothers and sisters, it's just newness. So you've got to look at what matters for the marriage. Use your brain. So with the father, for example, or the uncle or the aunt or the mothers, you get parents to also ask on your behalf. So let's say, for example, that the girl has something to say which is too embarrassed to say it to him because when you first meet you're not going to be able to talk about everything so now you have support um, maybe uh, she can say to her mum look mum you know you know this I, I've had this type of a life for example this has happened can you you know maybe have a talk to my dad he can talk to his dad and maybe they can talk about it or maybe the brother he wants to say something to her but he's embarrassed so he can talk to her father instead my son, or get his father or someone to talk to her father the point is the more people you have around you the easier you're going to be able to talk about things that are really necessary inshallah plus you get the advice of your parents you know it's better for everybody to have a look inshallah and see the the situation rather than you just you and them wallahi i did a marriage I've done many marriages for people who have been together for a very long time. And after I've done the marriage and things got serious, subhanAllah, they, they didn't really last very long. And you think to yourself, you've been together. Well, I did a marriage once that they were 21 years together, but not married. 21 years. Wallahi, after I did the marriage, two months later, they became divorced. So being, you know, knowing each other, even living together in, in, in outside of halal, doesn't really solve everything. And then there's that 30, 40 percent. 20%, let's say, that you're going to leave, you're going to say, Oh Allah, tawakkaltu alayk. Nothing is perfect. Now, I went on a tangent, but anyway, that's basically a little bit of advice that I wanted to say to my younger brothers and sisters. Yes, brother. What would you do if you're in a situation and you have a healthy, strong desire to do both hajj Yes. Good question. So if you have a strong desire to do hajj or pursue marriage, which one would you pursue first? So in answer to that, brother, I'm going to try and not make a long answer because it does depend on certain factors, okay? But without getting too technical, if there is someone there and you find that your interest is, is already there, alhamdulillah, and you do have strong interest and you're thinking of marrying, but you have enough money or enough support just to either get married or go to Hajj. So if you went to Hajj, it's going to delay your marriage and set you back. Right? In that case, get married first. And go later on you and your wife to, to Hajj, inshallah. You understand? So this is called Ifa. And that will help you with your worship even better. So getting married takes precedence between Hajj or marriage. Even though Hajj is a pillar, some people may disagree. But you see, Hajj is something big. It's a great act of worship. And if you are already interested in someone, then the longer you prolong that, and if your money that you had to get married with sets you back, and it's going to make you go another six months or a year, the shaitan can get between you. So safeguarding yourself this way takes precedence. So the ulama always spoke about if there is a sin, that is, there is a potential sin and a potential act of worship, something extra. One decorates you, one tarnishes you. They say take care of the dirt, the sin, 
before you decorate yourself with the worship. Do you understand? And even in our worship, they said, is worship better or making istighfar, asking Allah to forgive you? Imam Hassan al-Basri, the great uh, predecessor, said, if you wear clothes that are dirty, is it better to wash them first or put perfume on them? He said, no, wash them first. So, so then make istighfar, then do acts of worship. So, but if there's nobody in the picture, you're not ready for marriage, you still haven't, haven't decided, maybe a year or two, and you've got this bit of money, and you don't, you're not sure, there's no one in, in mind, you don't know when you're going to get married, meh, you're, you're, you're not really, uh, you, you, can, you can do without a wife for, for a few years, then no, go and do your hajj, inshallah, if you can afford it, and come back, inshallah. So it depends on the situation, without going into too much detail. Brother, uh, brother is asking, yes, I understood your question, alhamdulillah, it's a very good question. The brother is asking this common belief among us that um, if, if we find that the, the greater the tests and the sufferings that we go through, does that mean that um, we are closer to Allah? Because if Allah tests you more, it means that you are closer. So the scholars have spoken about this and the Prophet ﷺ did say, uh, The ones who receive the most tests and trials in this life, are the prophets. Then those who are closer to them in action and piety, and then the ones after them. So the degree of your piety in closest to Allah and to the prophets, the more the tests and the calamities naturally are going to be. But we need to understand two things. Number one, if you are not close to Allah, does that mean you don't get tests and trials? No, you will get tests and trials. But the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give a person who's closer to Allah and more sufferings is number one. The suffering and the test has two aspects to it, to a believer, a strong believer. Number one, Allah knows that with that extra test, that believer is going to pass that test. And the result of passing that test is raising his or her rank even higher. Because Allah wants to raise them higher. Why? Because Allah is just. And on a day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa raises people based on the test they went through and how many they passed. So their value rises. So when he sees a strong believer, Allah gives him more calamities and tests to raise his value. And number two, he knows he'll pass them. And number three, there is a third reason, scholars said, they become role models of strength for others. Someone has to go through trials in front of you for you to take them as role models and they be your strength. So Allah chooses the ones who are closer to him because they can handle it more than people who are not as close to him. So your trials become less. Sometimes the trials are different. You may not go through the same trial. If I went through a different trial, maybe Allah knows I can't pass it. Maybe the trial that I went through, if you went through it, you won't pass. So Allah gives you a trial that suits you. I want you to remember something. Very good question. Any trial you go through, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows already that you have the ability to get through it, inshaAllah. You have the ability. As for the disbeliever who goes through trials, it's because the disbeliever, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has shown them signs after signs after signs. And those who give up on Allah, Allah shows them signs after signs after signs. It comes to a point where He just gives them up. He gives them up to who? He gives them up to the natural world. So the calamities they're going through is the natural calamities of the world. And some things which Allah decrees upon them, it's not going to benefit them anything. Except in this world, but not in the hereafter. So this is a lose-lose situation. But for the believer who's closer to Allah, goes through calamities, it's a win-win situation. I hope, insha'Allah, that gives you a small summary of it, insha'Allah. So my calamity, akhi, maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that I have the power and the ability to get through it, and I can be a role model in it. Other things, maybe I'll fail. 
And one more thing, sometimes calamities is not what it appears. Sometimes it's not losing something. Calamities can be gaining something. So you might gain a lot of wealth, you might gain a lot of health, you might gain a lot of reputation. And the ulama said that's the hardest of trials. Because if you get more trial, more um, blessings, what do you automatically think? You start thinking that life is good for you, God must love you. Um, when we see somebody going through losses, sometimes we think you know, they must have done something really bad. If they lose their business, maybe God hasn't blessed them. But if their business goes good, we say Allah may maybe love them and they're blessed. No, not necessarily. So there is a calamity of being given everything and it's not going to mean anything. It's just that Allah is just giving you whatever's left in the bottle. You're not going to get anything in the hereafter which you can use against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All right, yes, Akhi, uh, we'll just take a couple, few more questions. I asked, the, yeah, so this is a common question. How do you know if it's a trial or a, a test? No, no, a trial is a test. Every trial is a test. Even for the disbeliever, it is a test. Will that wake them up or not? But how do you know the difference between a trial test and whether it's not a trial or a test, whether it's just a punishment for you? Is that what you mean? The ulama spoke about this and said it depends on your reaction to it. How do you face it? It's up to you. Allah puts the trial and then you have the opportunity to turn it into a blessing or into a suffering, a punishment. If you react in a haram way and resort to haram things and think of Allah in a bad way and continue that way, then know that that will turn into it will turn into a torture and punishment for you on this earth. But it's not Allah who did it. You would have done that. And if you persevere and be patient with it, it'll last less. It won't stay as long. The more you go into haram, the more it's going to hurt you. The, less, uh, the more you connect to Allah and are patient with it, inshallah, and you do what you can, the faster Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will get you through it and know that this was a test which you triumphantly passed, inshallah ta'ala. Now, a recommendation for a female revert in learning the deen. Well, brother, the best thing we always say is connect yourself to the community. We have here in this Preston Masjid, Masjid, for example, a group called Melbourne Muslima, who is a group of revert sisters, and alhamdulillah, they've learned and done courses, and we've had sisters who come and join them. We have other groups of sisters here. Actually, I think Melbourne Muslima is, is, used to come. They come here, but they're, they're online. We have another community of sisters here they can connect with, inshallah, and learn. So the idea is connect yourself with a group of sisters and community, inshallah. And, brother, and brothers should, if they're married to them or whoever they are, to help them, inshallah, um, go to those uh, gatherings, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, of course, online, mashallah, we have ample information. I would recommend uh, going to a familiar, a, a, uh, a known Islamic website where, uh, and you ask, if, if you have a community, you can ask um, which one they recommend. But usually you can tell a well-established Islamic website, uh, pretty well known. And um, I would say grab series, like not just, not, very, not short motivational talks. I would say grab series and start with the five pillars of Islam. So if you find a series on Salah, do that and start learning from that. Uh, or if you like reading, hit the library and get one about prayer, everything to know about prayer, everything to know about fasting, everything to know about zakat. So start with the five pillars and start also with the six pillars of Iman, believing in Allah, His angels, His books, His messengers, the hereafter and Qadr. So six plus five, that's 11. 11 topics to read about, follow online, and listen to the series. Sometimes they're 10, 15, 30, 
for example, listen to those things. You're not going to get much knowledge from you know, the, your, your, your typical short shorts, like the, the YouTube shorts or the TikTok shorts or the Instagram. They don't really do much at all. At all. Um, sometimes I have long talks here and we put a little snippet on TikTok or Instagram and I look at it and I think, man, that's not going to teach you anything. You really, and, and, and people unfortunately rely on that little two minutes. You need to go, it's just a, a gateway. We put it in there to go to the main lecture. So you need to listen and write notes. And inshallah, if you have a network, ask questions. So don't just rely on yourself, inshallah. That's basically the, in a nutshell. So Brother is asking, what advice can I give to a brother <coughs> who wants to represent himself and go to ask for a, uh, a sister's uh, hand in, to get to know her in, in a halal way from her father? So I just want to take a step back. Now, you don't always have to go to the father. You can go to the mother. You can go to the aunt. You can go to the uncle. You can go to the brother. You can go to the cousin. You can go to a family friend if you know them. All right? I know brothers who know other brothers who know their cousin and they entered in that line. But eventually you need to go to the house because that's the respect. My first thing is learn about the culture. Whatever country they're from, learn about how their culture is. What is the best way of, of going to? So customs and traditions are important. You need to learn their culture. If they're Lebanese, they've got a culture. If they're um, Afghani, they've got a culture. Whether they're Somali or they're Eritrean or the African type, they've got a, Egyptians have their own way. The Asians have their own. So learn, brothers and sisters, the culture and ask a little bit what's the best etiquettes. Then when you go there as a brother, be yourself, ya akhi. Walk in with your head high. Uh, you don't have to take any gifts with you, depending on the culture. And if you don't have anybody with you, my advice is that if you have a father or an uncle or some old elderly, el older person in the community to take them with you, it shows more respect. But if you go yourself, here in Australia, we have so many cultures. You know, sometimes walking on a door is really appealing to the father. Say, well, mashallah, he's a man. So you can go or probably get their number somehow, give a call, make an appointment, say, I'd like, to, you know, my name is so-and-so, and, -so, and um, honestly, I've, I've, I've had the acquaintance of people recommending and referring to you, and I would like to come and have a cup of coffee with you. Where do you know me from, whatever? Say, I'm a person who's looking for marriage, and I heard really good things about your family. Uh, test the waters like that. So you've got to, if they welcome you, then inshallah, go there. And uh, sit and chat with the, with the father or uh, any family member there. Let's say they don't have a father. They have a mother, for example. Let's say the father's passed away or he's not around or anything like that. Uh, if you have a second person there, there's a mother and the aunt, for example, it's not considered seclusion. It's not considered seclusion. Seclusion is just you and another female alone. So you can talk and introduce yourself. That's the, best, the first thing you do. So I say the men, introduce yourself. My name is so-and-so, and, -so, and uh, I, I heard that uh, you're a good family, and uh, I have interest in marriage, alhamdulillah, and I've come really just to take the first step to see if you would consider welcoming me to uh, get to know who I am and my family, and I get to know you, inshallah, with the intention of, inshallah, honorably getting to know your daughter for marriage. So you start off like that, you break the ice inshallah and I'm sure the ball will get rolling from there. It's a test either for you to learn about yourself and to grow or it's a, and at the same time it's a test for your hereafter. Everything that happens to you is a test, ya akhi. But remember, it's not just suffering and struggling, it's also comfort and gaining. All of it, we live from the moment you breathe in this world, you live a life of a test. And from the moment you, you reach puberty, you're accountable for your test. Akhil Karim, right now you're sitting right there. 
You're sitting right there. And this lecture took long. Your back is aching. You got little pins and needles here and there. That's struggling and suffering. Am I right or wrong? But you are patient, alhamdulillah. You didn't think about it much. Insha'Allah, when you get up from here, you're going to exercise a bit. Your body's going to get to normal. And that's how Allah opens the door. But you went through a nice little test. And insha'Allah, you're rewarded for it. But if you sat there and you're struggling and you say, man, when's this guy going to finish? Farah, he loves to talk. He wants the attention. Then you're going to backbite me. Suddenly your test, you failed. So that's how it is. <laughs> Maybe I might say, you know, I say, look at this guy. He's just acting like he's blah, blah, blah. Then me sitting here is a test for me. So ya akhil kareem, everything, consider everything in life. It is a trial and a test. Even Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said in Sahih Muslim, nothing that a Muslim receives, even if it's a bit of worry, a bit of anxiety, a bit of fear, a bit of sadness, a bit of hurt, someone hurt you with a word, even the prick of a needle, needle that you get if you are patient with it and anticipate the reward from Allah except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala compensates you by forgiving your past sins from a prick of a needle from a little something someone gave you a dirty and you're patient with it alhamdulillah you get rewarded so ya akhi everything in your life is a test everything the reverts to Islam that's a very good question from young brother here the reverts coming to the community and what can we do in the community to help support them really honestly brothers and sisters I think um, in our community, there is a short, there is a, a, a shortcoming from from our end. So, one thing is done from the community, and the other thing is from the person who's converted to Islam or reverted. So, revert does their action by connecting themselves to members of the community, one person or two people that they can get their contact and talk to them. Inshallah, uh, the community itself also needs to contact these people. But it's a two-way thing, it's like any other relationship, right? Like any other relationship. So the closer you get, the more I see you, the more you see me, insha'Allah. The common places of the masjid, the more, insha'Allah, we're going to interact, insha'Allah ta'ala. Uh, the other thing with the revert is uh, you don't have to cut off your ties from your family, even if they're non-Muslim. Some of them, they say, uh, how can I get married and my, my parents are non-Muslim? No, yeah, your parents are still part of the, the whole thing. Uh, can I bring them to talk to my parents and my family? Yeah, of course. Your father, if it's a sister, for example, your father's still in the picture. Get his advice. He's still your, your mahram, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is it doesn't mean that you're cut off from your family. But at the same time, like any other relationship, you've got to be around, be present. Anyone who gives you their contact, be in contact with them. Take a coffee with them, inshallah. Uh, engage, ask about any events. So... Alhamdulillah, for a Muslim, we have the masjids which connect us, insha'Allah ta'ala. Uh, I've seen brothers and sisters who've converted to Islam, or reverted, whatever word you want to use. They themselves became the helpers and the leaders. So don't ever look at yourself just because you reverted to Islam, you're on the back foot. There are Muslims who are in need of you. You could be coming as a lifesaver for other people. And I've seen it happen many times. So have the right mentality and be strong with that, insha'Allah. You can be a leader. And I've seen many of them become ulama and mashayikh and scholars. Some of them became amazing for us with their skills. We need you guys. And you, you need us and we need you. And actually, we're the same, Yani. We're the same. Right? There's no real differentiation. But alhamdulillah. Tadali, akhi. Brother, mental health, mental health and waswasa. Waswasa is also called intrusive thoughts in the... Psychologically, it's called intrusive thoughts, right? When thoughts come in that are not needed, it's called waswasa. 
and mental health is very important in that case. Wallahi akhi, I'll be honest with you. You need to talk to yourself. You need to tell yourself that you don't want these thoughts. You need to tell yourself, you need to decide and say like this. Tell yourself, I'm sick of your thoughts. I'm no longer going to let you occupy my brain. There's something called neuroplasticity. Have you ever heard of it? Your neurons in the brain, when you get fixated on one thing, they start drawing channels towards it and the other ones get blocked. So you need to change, you need to shock your brain. So you need to decide internally and say, stop, say, I will no longer accept these intrusive thoughts to take over my brain. You've got to make that decision inside. Suddenly a channel opens up. But the moment that you say, these thoughts, man, when are they going to go? I don't want them. It's like you're weak. You're, you're letting them empower you. Make the decision and say, from this day onwards, these intrusive thoughts, I will not let them have a place in my brain. So when they start coming, they're just there. You say, oh, they're just there. It's the intrusive thoughts. The moment you make the decision and say to yourself, I will no longer occupy my intrusive thoughts, you will start finding, and I've seen it happen, alhamdulillah, I work with a lot of people. You start new channels in your brain open up and you're able to overcome them, inshallah. But the idea is like, you say it in a way where you have no place in my brain anymore. I'm sick of it. I'm no longer going to deal with you. You can come and go as you like, but I'm going to ignore you. So you're no longer fighting with it. You drop your battle with it. And inshallah, it's the first step to letting it go. I hope inshallah that little tiny tip can help. How does one know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them? This is a, a very good question which nobody's going to know the complete answer to it. However, I can give you hints of what the scholars said. The first question is, has Allah set up this life for us to know for sure if Allah is pleased with us or not? I mean, let's ask that question. Are we meant to know 100% that Allah is pleased with us or not? No. Actually, we're not meant to know. We don't know. Until we die. Until we die. Did you not hear the Prophet ﷺ said, a person may be close to paradise until there's a palm, they do the actions, the actions of paradise until there's a palm lift between them and paradise. And then towards the end of their life, they change around and they become one of the people of hellfire. And a person may be working towards hellfire until there's a palm lift between them and hellfire and then they change around, they do the actions, the actions of the people of paradise and end up in paradise. That's what it looks like. So what does it mean? That's what it looks like. It means that you've got hidden traits that nobody knows about. So, there are traits and signs that give you a good indication, but will never be sure. Allah tells us in the Quran, How can they sit there feeling so safe that Allah's plan against them or His punishment will never reach them? And at the same time, do they give up on Allah, thinking that Allah is not merciful? We live our life, the believer, how do you know that you are close to Allah and Allah and share Allah? will be pleased with you. Number one, the fact that you do not have certainty. You do not sit there saying Allah is certainly pleased with me or not. The moment you start thinking Allah is pleased with me, you let your guards down and the shaitan makes his way in. The moment you think Allah is always going to punish me, again the shaitan is going to come in, you're going to let your guards down and then he's going to lead you astray so you give up. How do you know Allah a sign that you are on the right path so far today? Tomorrow is another day. Number one, you live a life between hope and fear. You're not very sure that Allah is pleased with you, but you're also not certain that He's displeased with you. 
It's like an aeroplane that has two wings. One is a surety of his pleasure. One is unsurety of his punishment. And you fly together with them. How? So that when you see, here's the second sign. Once you've got that, the second sign is this needs a whole lecture. The second one is this. The moment you see something that brings you closer to Allah, like an act of worship or an opportunity, like a sadaqah or a charity or a good word or to help someone or a rak'ah to pray, or you feel that you want to read some Quran, you make a dhikr, or you want to do something of a good deed, you find yourself wanting to do it. You smile and you see it as a good opportunity. You're motivated towards it. It means that, alhamdulillah, there is Allah's pleasure there happening. If you see something that's haram or sinful or punishable, you find you're resented. You, don't, you find ugly. You find yourself ugly, an ugly feeling towards it. Know that, alhamdulillah, there is the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with you there. When you remember a sin of your past, you don't feel good about it. You know that, alhamdulillah, Allah, this is a sign of Allah's pleasure in you, alhamdulillah. If you do something bad and your shame is not there for the time being, and then after that bad, your shame hits you, and you feel really bad about it, and you ask Allah to forgive you, know that, inshallah, Allah is pleased with you. Once you repent to Allah from something bad, and you feel that after that you feel good, know that, inshallah, this is a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being pleased with you. Another sign is that uh, when you see righteous people and good people around you, such as your parents, even if they're not righteous, but even your parents, and people like righteous people who like to be around you, know that, inshallah, this is a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure. So, brothers and sisters, these are some of the signs, but there is no absolute certainty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is absolutely pleased with you or not. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say, none of you will enter paradise because of your good deeds. They said, not even you, ya Rasulullah, said, not even I, except for Allah's mercy to reach me. So what are we doing? We're relying on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. So don't ever be, think that you are khalas, you're up there, and never ever think that you are doomed, but somewhere in between that you live in between, inshaAllah ta'ala. So that's in a nutshell.